like to thank Neil for covering for me last week. And I know he did a good job. Nobody else needs to tell me. Okay, I listened to the tape. It seems like you gang up on me when I'm not here, you know? And whoever it is, whether they're good or not so good, when they come up here, I hear how great a job they did, you know? Thanks, Neil. Make me look bad. <laughs> Complimenting my choices. <laughs> Genesis chapter 15. Uh, we'll read verses 1 through 6. We did these a couple weeks ago, but there's so much in these six verses that I felt like we should look a little deeper into them. Genesis 15, 1 to 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abram said, Lord, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. God in a vision appears to Abram. Abram at this time has become sort of a mighty man in, in the Canaan area. He has uh, proven himself to be a great warrior. He's a great leader of men. And yet God comes to him and says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your protection. I am your exceedingly great reward. Those are great words of comfort, by the way. And this is God himself appearing to Abram and speaking to him. Do not be afraid. Now, I do not consider myself a coward or easily intimidated by man. And Abram certainly was not intimidated by man. Abram has just pursued the five kings of the north. He's raided them. He's took back all the captive, including his nephew Lot. He has slaughtered the kings of the north with the edge of the sword, according to Hebrews 7.1. And after this great battle, this great victorious battle, God tells Abram, do not be afraid. Wow. Relax, Abram. Or we might say chill or something. But calm down and realize God will protect you, Abram. Have you ever played the what if game? What if I lose my job? What if I come down with some terminal illness? What if something bad happens 
to my children? What if the economy goes over the cliff? <laughs> and we can go through a whole scenarios of what ifs. We are consummate worriers. And Abram is obviously going through some what ifs in his own mind. And God cares that Abram is troubled. God cares that Abram is even afraid. <clears throat> and here's the good news. God cares when you're troubled or when you're afraid. Whether or not that fear is justified is almost immaterial, but God cares when you're troubled or afraid. But God not only cares that Abram is afraid, he comforts Abram with do not be afraid, which can or can't be a comfort. But then he says to Abram, I am your shield. A shield. Now in Abram's days, a shield was something every soldier or warrior carried, and you carried it into battle, and it was your best defensive weapon that you had. They were half circular, and they were about three to four feet tall and they had a either a wooden or a wicker frame covered with leather and they would oil this leather and it was to repel the arrows or stones or whatever was thrown at them by different soldiers the Romans when in battle would do what they called a tortoise uh, uh, posture and the first row would put down their shield then the second row would just kind of lay their shields over that and they would form a shield dome that the enemy couldn't shoot arrows in on them or throw spears in on them and this was their great protection just a few weeks back as you know from the news Israel was attacked and they attacked the Gaza area from all these missiles that were coming into Israel and Israel initiated what they call the Iron Dome. The Iron Dome was a covering, a shield of protection against missiles that would be coming in from the Gaza area. This Iron Dome was a very effective dome uh, but it was also very expensive. The Iron Dome took out 90% of all the rockets or missiles that were launched towards uh, the cities of Israel. That is considered extremely successful, by the way, to take out 90% of your enemy's missiles. God's shield to Abram is not 90% effective or to you and I, it's 100% effective. That's our God. And the safest place in this world to be is in the will of God. If you're in the will of God, nothing is going to come against you that is not already defeated. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go perfect in your life. But God controls everything that comes your way. We may be bruised 
but we're not broken. In Matthew 20, it says, a bruised reed he will not break. You know what a reed was? A reed reed was just blade of grass, kind of hollow, that grew up real tall, and they would blow in the wind, and many times they would break from the wind. A bruised reed he will not break. That's the protection of our Lord. But Abram, he is a man of peace. He's a man of faith. And he's reassured by God, Abram, I am your shield. Great words of comfort. So if you have a tendency to be a doomsday prepper, (laughs) or if you have a tendency to worry about the what ifs, if you were concerned about the financial cliff that we were supposed to go off, what, this past week? And understand, God is your protection. Be assured that God is greater than any economic catastrophe that could ever hit this world. It's great. He is greater than any political cliff that may be out there by our governments. I like what King David says in Psalm 37, uh, 25. I have been young. Now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. David has lived his life, and he's never seen a righteous man's, not even his children, go hungry. That is a great assurance, by the way. Again, the most secure place in the world for any believer is abiding in Christ. I happen to believe that we're in the last days before Christ returns for his church. I don't think there's any prophecy that needs to be fulfilled that prevents Christ from coming back and taking us to be with him. And so as we see things grow more and more desperate around us, the political climate, I don't think it's going to improve. I really don't. I think we'll have temporary uh, points of relief, but I don't think the political climate's going to improve to any what we would call satisfying degree. I just don't have my hopes in man. I fully expect persecution to increase on Christians, uh, for we're the light of the world, and the world, this evil world, hates light. And it's that simple. They're opposed to us. So we prepare ourselves by simply trusting in our divine shield. We prepare ourselves by trusting in God like Abram did. And that is good news for us in this troubled world. The next statement that God makes to Abram is more comforting than his... uh, I am your shield. God declares, I am your exceedingly great reward. How much is exceedingly? Above what you can ask or think. (laughs) To which Abram replies, Thanks, God, but you have not given me any child 
for I am childless. It's kind of like, thanks God for blessing me beyond words, but where's my kids? And I think Abram's answer, when you look at it closely, I think it grieves the very heart of God. We have that capacity to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I think Abram has done this with his answer. Abram is so fixated on children that he's rude to God. God has promised Abram children. And God will work miracles in Abram's life and Sarah's life to bring about these children. They're both old. They've grown past the age of bearing children. But God will give them a child. But God will not be rushed by Abram or Sarah or you or I into fulfilling his promises before he is ready to fulfill his promises. Abram is looking at this and he said, I'm past the point of having children. My wife is past that age. You give me no children, God. And we too, like Abram, we can try to maneuver. We can whine. We can complain. We can beg and we can beseech God in prayer. But God has his own timetable in each of our lives. And he will fulfill his promises when he is ready. He's sovereign. But I think Abram's gone too far here. He hasn't gone too far with his fellow man. He's been a righteous man in his relationship with those around him. I don't think he's even gone too far with Sarah. But Abram has overstepped his position, his place that God has him, with God. And Abram... He will do this one more time, I think, in his life. And that's when he argues with God about the destruction of Sodom. You remember that story, how God said, tells Abram he's going to go down and destroy Sodom. And Abram says, well, you're going to destroy it because there's 40 righteous men there, God. Hmm? You're going to be a just God or you're not going to be a just God? What's the deal here, God? That's his attitude. But to Abram's credit, he speaks to Honestly, from the heart, with no pretense before God. But Abram isn't the only one that's ever spoken out of turn towards God. I have heard men say ridiculous things concerning God. Men that have suffered hurt or pain, and then they blame God for it. And I've heard men say things like, I have a few questions for the man upstairs when I get there. Why he allowed this or why he did that. Utter foolishness. Tragedy happens to come to every life. It does. I don't care who you are. Tragedy will come into your life. I want to be mature in my relationship with God not to complain about the why me when tragedy does come. And it will come. And it will come into your lives too. 
when things don't go the way I've planned. I have in the past, and I'm sure I probably will in the future, question the sovereignty of God, question why he does certain things, question the way he orchestrates my life. The events of my life. Why this and why at this time? But we must understand, you have to get this down in your theology. God is merciful and kind and loving. And he is in the way he allows things to transpire in your life. Abram, he will have a son. And he will have a son from Sarah, but not yet. Fifteen years still have to go by before Isaac is born. And at this time, all Abram can do is question God. What are you going to give me since I don't have any children, God? You've given me no offspring, Lord. What's up? No one born in my house. And then a sort of a little curious thing happens. God takes Abram outside, gets him out of his little cubby hole of whining and complaining. And he wants to give Abram a different perspective. And so he takes him outside and he says, Abram, look up. And obviously it's nighttime. And he says, now count the stars if you can. If you're able, I want you to count the stars, Abram so shall your descendants be. And then we have a beautiful transformation happen in Abram's heart. He believes the Lord, and it was accounted unto Abram as righteousness. Something clicked for Abram there. He says, yep, this is God. This is not a man I'm talking to. And he believes I'm here to tell you God does not make any idle promises, not to Abram, not to you, or not to me. We jump forward about uh, 2,000 years to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he had this burning desire in his life to reach his fellow man for Christ. Paul was driven, to say the least. Paul says of himself, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He loved his fellow brethren, the Jews, so fervently that he is willing to be a curse for them if this would bring his fellow man to Christ. Romans 9, 1 through 3. Let me read it for you. You may want to turn there, you may not, but Romans 9, 1 through 3. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Paul is suffering tremendous sorrow and grief for his unbelieving Jewish brethren. 
He loves them. He was raised like them. He understands them. Paul's sorrow consumes him. And he feels, he's felt like ever since he met Christ on the road to Damascus, that if he ever could just have an opportunity to speak to the council, the Sanhedrin, his fellow Jewish council members, he could persuade them that Jesus is Messiah. That is in the back of Paul's mind all the time that he ministers. And then we read of Paul's last missionary journey. He's headed back towards Jerusalem. He doesn't know what awaits him there. He's been prophesied over that, you know, chains and tribulation await him. But Paul isn't afraid of that. It's hard to frighten a man that's willing to be accursed. You know what I'm saying? You don't scare him with death. But Paul, finally, he arrives in Jerusalem. He's arrested by the Romans who arrest him to save his life and they and they throw him into prison but he's had that opportunity that he wanted though to address the Sanhedrin Paul happened to once have been a member of the Sanhedrin but to Paul's dismay instead of them listening to him a riot breaks out You ever think about that? Paul either had revival or riots wherever he went. <laughs> there wasn't much in between. What if every time you wanted to witness to somebody, they wanted to kill you after you witnessed to them? That's kind of what Paul faced. He had this way of cutting through the gray area, and you either loved him or hated him right away. But Paul... His life was in danger. The Roman cohort go down and they rescue him from his own Jewish brethren. Paul is placed in custody or in a Roman jail. And this, I think, is the lowest point in Paul's life. He has finally had his opportunity to speak to the Sanhedrin and they have rejected him. They have wanted to kill him. He has had his opportunity to reach his fellow Jews, and he's discouraged. Not one of them has believed his report. We can feel sorrow and grief, like Paul felt, when a friend or a family member doesn't receive our witness. And you actually, you hurt for them. It gets so real to you that you can't understand why they don't run to Christ and embrace Christ. And they just are flippant sometime about just, well, maybe later. Or, yeah, I hear you, but uh, not now. And we get all these, and we actually are in pain for them for their rejection of Christ. And we can be like Paul who feels sorrow and grief. But let me redirect your thinking for a second. Paul is in despair. He feels like a failure. But how does our Lord Jesus look upon Paul's witness there in Jerusalem? 
Acts 23.11. Let me read you one verse. Paul's in prison, but the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Paul's in a Roman jail. Jesus has appeared to him, stood by him, and told him, Be of good cheer, Paul. You just testified of me to your Jewish brethren, but you're not done, Paul. I want you to go to Rome, and in Rome, you're going to testify of me before Caesar Nero himself. Another promise by God. Paul's trip to Rome will include a shipwreck, poisonous vipers biting him, and other perils. But Paul, know this, Jesus has stood by you and said, you will go to Rome and you will testify of me. Words of promise from Jesus. Abram, rest assured, you will have a son. God has proclaimed it. It will happen, Abram. Christian friend, us here, rest assured, God is trustworthy. He will fulfill his promises. One of the great promises the church has now, besides any other promises God may have made to you privately, but one of the great promises we have as the church is that Jesus will return and he will take his church out of this sinful, corrupt world. He's going to rapture his church to be with him. That is a promise. Jesus rapturing his church. Do we receive it as a promise? Maybe we need to change our perspective. Maybe we need to look up and count the stars. Change our little thinking. Reflect upon God's word as truth. And rest assured that God is faithful. We are to be like Abram, believe God, and have it be accounted to us as righteousness. There's nothing better in this life, nothing more comforting than having a right standing with God. That is the greatest thing we can have. We're going to have political, financial troubles come our way. I just believe it's part of the last days that we live in. We're going to have wars and rumors of wars. That happens all the time now. We're going to have natural disasters. And I think they will continue. But here's the thing. We don't let that trouble us. We don't get dismayed by them. God is faithful. Trust in him. And know this. 
He is coming back for us. That is a promise. And his promises were faithful to Abram. His promises were faithful to Paul. And his promises are faithful to us, his church. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, we started a new year. We want this year to be a year that we have surrendered to you completely. Lord, we have seen, we have looked upon your goodness. And Lord, I would venture to say no one here has a complaint against you. You have proven yourself faithful. So, Lord, we want to take that next step. We want to allow you to rule and reign in our hearts completely in 2013. We want to be a people, a fellowship that holds nothing back. We want to see you move in our community. We want to see you save souls. We want to see you provide for your people. We want to see you heal your people, Lord. And Lord, we want to walk close to you. And most of all, Lord, we want to believe your promises. We want to understand that they're real, they're true. And so we look for your return, Lord. And we would pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. For this world has nothing to offer us anymore. We want to see you and be with you, Lord. So our prayer is come quickly. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.